Good morning, Chris. How are you doing today? Hey, morning. I'm, I'm doing all right. How about yourself? Fantastic. Wow. What a weekend that happened uh, in, over in Ukraine as well as Russia. I mean, uh, uh, Zelensky saying, hey, we're going to bring the war to you. And boy, they retaliated last night. Yeah, yeah, that's the... That's the plan, to be able to continue uh, pounding away on Russian logistical lines, command and control centers, trying to weaken the enemy, you know, far beyond the front line, um, which will have an effect, no doubt, on what happens uh, at the front line and and Russia's ability to continue prosecuting this war. I can't be the only one. The entire world has got to be in love with the leader of Ukraine in the way that he he says, we're going to take these hits, but we are still the people. We, we, we will not be taken down. And I love that attitude uh, that this man is carrying into the into the history books. Yeah, you know, he's I mean, obviously his story is really fascinating. He you know, he rose up as a as a comedian and uh, an actor with a famous TV show in which he played a, an everyman uh, who became president accidentally. And then uh, you know, very much in the same way and with the very same theme song um uh, with uh, used uh for for his show, for his campaign, you know, he became president in 2019 and uh, was widely popular and, and um, you know, he campaigned on wanting to end this war and came in more of a, a, a guy looking for peace rather than um, uh, becoming a military commander, uh, essentially the commander in chief. Right. And uh, uh, funnily enough, uh, after the, uh, a couple of years of his presidency, his, his popularity had waned quite a bit. And then Russia launched its full scale invasion uh, of Ukraine. Mm. And he, you know, made the decision to not run and instead to uh, hold tight here in Kiev. And he put out this now famous video where he said, I'm here. My team is here. We're not going anywhere. And I think that really inspired Ukraine and Ukrainians. And they've put up a really fierce defense under his uh, leadership ever since. The book we're talking about is The War Came to Us, Life and Death in Ukraine. What what I love about this book is that it really does invite everybody around the world to step into these pages. It's not just a five-minute news clip that's on CNN. This right here, you take us into the actual journey and the lifestyle that's going on there. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you say that because that, that was the goal with this book, was really to show people, uh, you know, take them on a journey that that I had um, uh, been on over the last 13 and a half years of living here and, you know, getting to know this incredible place and these remarkable people who have done such extraordinary things over the past decade. Um, you know, and, and, and I mentioned over the past decade because that's, you know, um, the, the period of time in which uh, Ukrainians have ousted a president who was cozying up to Vladimir Putin and um, uh, brutally attacking his own citizens, um, you know, and and was 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 ousted in the 2013-2014 revolution of dignity here uh, in Kiev, where I'm speaking to you from. And then, you know, there was the Russian annexation of Crimea, and then the first uh, invasion of Eastern Ukraine in 2014, uh, which you know gr- ground away for for years until this full scale invasion. And you know, along the way, I got to know so many people um, who I really wanted to tell. Um, the world about and and all of my friends back home because one of the things that I'm, I'm always asked every time I, I I come back to the United States for a break is you know um, what's happening over there who are you meeting what are they saying what is it like and you know the best way to describe that is I think to you know put it in a book on these pages where you know these stories can live for years and years to come and provide I think great background and greater context to the war that's happening right now um, and, and, and context and, um, uh, you know, color 
and and stories that you're not going to get, as you mentioned, in a five minute TV clip. See, you you journalists over there right now have got the spirit. I mean, my, my neighbor is Joe Lindsley. He's he's been over there since 2019 and he went through the covid situation. He's over there with the war right now. He was recently asked on a radio show. Do you miss being at home? And he says, what do you mean? I am at home and, and I'm hearing the same kind of vibration from you. Yeah, this has become my my second home. Uh, I, I moved here in the spring of 2010 and uh, first as a Peace Corps volunteer. And I worked here for two years um, living uh, in, in, in the eastern city of Bakhmut, which a lot of people might now recognize, unfortunately, because it was the location of the longest, uh, most brutal battle that has been waged since Russia launched its uh, its latest invasion. Um, and it's been completely destroyed. But there I met a lot of really great people and they welcomed me into uh, their lives and their community. And I felt very much at home, even through at first a very um, difficult language barrier. But along, you know, along the way, I, I, um, I found a way to fit in and to be useful and got into foreign correspondence, which allowed me really to sort of bridge my, my two, well, my, my, my true home, uh, my, my birthplace, the United States and uh, my, my newly adopted home. Um, you know, telling stories uh, on both sides. They thought you were a spy. I mean, my God, how do you face the challenge of that and the anxiety that must have come with that? Sure. So at first there was a little bit of skepticism. What is this American doing uh, all the way um, over here in, in eastern Ukraine and not, you know, not in the capital, Kiev, um, or even some of the other metropolises with, uh, uh, you know, million plus uh, residents, but in this tiny little a uh, city of uh, 70,000 people. I, I was not only the only American, I was the only Western foreigner who was living there at that time. And so there was a lot of skepticism. Uh, there were a few uh, accusations of um, uh, espionage, but uh, people quickly got over it when they realized that as a volunteer, I you know was not paid very well. I was living very much like a local person, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, among them in a, a little old um, Soviet era apartment block. And uh, you know, over time, they they came to to trust me and and to uh, befriend me. Um, I was working in schools and in the central library there. I got to know uh, their children and to help them study English, um, uh, write grant proposals, get money for various projects in the city. Um, I took part in community organizations. And, uh, you know, eventually the uh, sp- spying accusations went away and I just became Chris, one of uh, one of their own. One of the things that I'm learning about about this this war in Ukraine is the fact that, yes, you do hear the the air raid sirens. They're, they're going off. You'll hear the boom, boom, pow. And then all of a sudden people go, all right, get the music. Let's get back together again. And, and, and it seems to be the lifestyle. It's like nothing is going to to basically stop what the, the you know, life in, in Ukraine. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, that that's right. I mean, and, and Ukrainians won't be stopped. Um, you know, they know what they're fighting for, nothing less than their existence and and this, you know their survival and their country and and so they will continue to do whatever they have to do. But yeah. at the same time, they also want to continue going about their lives. They don't want Russia to disrupt and destroy. Um, yeah, you know, and beyond beyond the the physical things that um, that that Russia is 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 striking. Uh, and destroying, you know, they they don't want Russia to take away their dignity and their humanity. And so, yes, they will 
uh, head to the underground metro system or the bomb shelter in an apartment building yep. uh, for the duration of an air raid, but then they'll come right back up <laughs> and uh, table for four at a restaurant in the evening or head to the uh, uh, club um, that evening um, and, and dance their, their butts off until um, the military curfew. I think what really pulls me into this book, The War Came to Us, Life and Death in Ukraine, is is the fact that uh, Joe always talks about what took place in 2014. What pulls me into this is that you were there for those riots. You you got to firsthand see this stuff. Yeah, yeah. I was there when it happened and, and watched it grow from, um, you know, just a, a couple dozen people with signs protesting the then um, pro-Russian President Viktor Yanukovych's decision to not... Uh, proceed down a path to join the European Union, but instead to cozy up with Vladimir Putin and Russia. And people were angry and they came out and they protested peacefully until one night when uh, President Yanukovych's uh, police forces and special forces came out and brutally attacked a group of mostly university students, even some high school students and teenagers. There, and I was there in the middle of it, watching them do this, and, and I could hardly believe that it was happening. And there's blood pouring down the, the the steps of the central square here. It was really shocking. And from that moment uh, forward, um, uh, for the next three months, um, it was uh, a, a revolution, and people were coming out to protest against. Yeah. Um, state violence and uh, for their for their freedom, you know, for principles that a lot of Americans would understand. Isn't it kind of odd that in this place of history that I can just get on my Facebook phone and give you a buzz in Ukraine and we can have a conversation? Whereas in the past we had to wait we had to wait for the newsreel to hit the you know the big channels and things. I mean, it's like you guys are right there in the right now. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I'll make it even even feel a little stranger for you and, and and tell you just about the experience of being on the front line. When I'm out there with uh, Ukrainian soldiers, I'm walking through bunkers and trenches, yeah. um, you know, these, these labyrinths of um, earthworks that very much resemble uh, the First or Second World War. Oh my and even much of the weaponry that they're using is decades and decades old, but it's also being used in coordination with very modern weaponry and even over-the-counter commercially, you know, purchased uh, electronics like drones, for example. Yeah. Um, you know, these tiny drones that you would use as a hobby uh, to maybe photograph uh, a birthday or a wedding or something are now used to um, help counter uh, enemy artillery or for surveillance on the battlefield. It's it's a really uh, interesting um, dichotomy, you know, um, to have this old and new and high tech and low tech. Um, it's it can be really jarring at times, and it certainly makes me think um, uh, really hard about just where I am and 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 what period we're in. Yeah, you talk about those trenches. We get we get to read it in the story. We get to see pictures on TV. But what does it smell like? Because I, I just can't fathom the thought of the scent. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a lot of uh, sweat and blood. Ooh. Um, you know, there's a, a, a pretty thick iron, you know, iron-like smell. Um, a lot of sweaty bodies in, in summer. And uh, there's always the smell of um, something that, that people might not realize is, you know, the soldiers do all of their own cooking. So actually, sometimes... There's this really incredible scent of borscht, a Ukrainian soup, um, <laughs> or uh, barbecued meat um, that they're you know grilling in a in a pit dug into the uh, into the earth there, um, and uh, it, it's always kind of um, jarring to to uh, you know get a, a whiff of of something that um, smells so good in a place that uh, really does resemble hell. 
but you know in the winter in the winter it'll be filled with smoke and fire because they're trying to stay warm you know through these through these fires but they have to conceal them so that the enemy can't see where the light is coming from so you end up kind of getting stuck in these um smoke filled um, mazes underground um yeah you know and and of course cigarettes it's a war and um <laughs> <laughs> my my father was a sergeant in in World War II, but he never spoke of of the trenches. He never talked about the darkness or how cold it was in Germany. And and I think maybe that's one of the reasons why the war came to to us. Life and death in Ukraine is is so important to me because I want to know what these soldiers are are, are living each day. Yeah, I, and that was you know one of the points of the book is really to to take you there and and to let you experience what I've experienced over the last you know more than a decade. Um, you know, I wanted people to smell the trenches. Um, I wanted them to be able to um, sense the fear that these guys are experiencing on the front line. Um, you know, really to 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 know and to understand what is happening, and um, you know why it's important to pay attention to this as well. And really to let the voices of the people who I meet and the soldiers on the front line do the speaking, um, and and just really to to provide a clearer picture than what you can get in. Uh, a five minute TV clip, or even oftentimes, you know, my own articles that, uh, you know, are limited to uh, one page or 800 words or something, right? This is a way mm -hmm. that I'm able to explain at much greater length and in much greater detail um, just, you know, what this war is like. Being aware, I mean, that's that's a 24-7 thing for you. Your guard is always up. But what happens when you start receiving messages that Wagner start making, is starting to make a move toward Poland? That That doesn't seem like a good move. Yeah, I am a bit skeptical of, of whether or not that will happen. And I think the Ukrainians and the Poles are certainly ready. And, and you know, Poland being a NATO country, that's that's also going to factor into Russia's uh, decision making, because uh, mm -hmm. that that would probably uh, uh, very likely unleash Article five and, and the might of, of all NATO nations. Uh, that said, you know, the Wagner uh, troops now in Belarus, we know, are training up the Belarusian forces. Um, one concern is that they could at some point enter the fray. They haven't so far, and Russia has just used the country as a launch pad for its own forces and for its missile forces. Um, but but Wagner training the Belarusians, uh, you know, this is um, something that could have an impact on the future if they are to uh, be ordered um, by by their leader, Alexander Lukashenko, to enter this fight on behalf of Russia or to make it um, a fight of their own as well. Mm -hmm. But, you know, for me, when I see something like that, whether it's, you know, Wagner making an advance on Moscow or a massive Russian missile attack here in Kiev or a major development on the front lines in eastern Ukraine. I am essentially, uh, you know, always ready to go. I keep a I keep a bag packed with everything I need in case of, um, you know, needing to, to move very quickly from from the, my location here in Kiev to another. Um, I, my phone is always on, except for when I'm talking with you fine people. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm always waiting for my editors to call and, and ask for a story or an update uh, or a source of mine here in Kiev, um, you know, to tell me, uh, hey, look, I think you need to be paying attention to this or this is about to happen. I think you need to be ready to move or need to be ready to write about it. Uh, you know, it's a job that is 24-7. I am uh, effectively always on on call and on duty. Here's a spoiled American question for you. You're in the trenches. You've got your smartphone. How the hell are you keeping that battery charged up? Oh, with lots of external <laughs> oh <my> batteries. <laughs> um, I, 
I, my, I, I carry a pack that's just loaded down with, um, you know, these, these 24 hour, uh, you know, battery, battery packs or these, these, these large, I mean, they're essentially the size of a, of a brick and, and, uh, you know, I can charge my phone upwards of 20 or 30 times. I can even, I can even charge my laptop, um, wow. which I do carry in most cases a few times. So I'm, I'm always, uh, uh, lugging around these, these, these batteries and, um, you know, one, one thing I, I do, and this is, here's a, here's a pro tip from a correspondent in the field, always, uh, change your, your iPhone to that, uh, low battery function power saving mode, uh, cause that'll get, that'll get you a few hours. And, uh, that really could mean the difference between having a, a flashlight if you, if you've forgotten yours, uh, and, and, and not, uh, when, uh, when it comes, uh, uh, you know, past um, past sunset, and uh, you're stuck in a trench with nothing but the moonlight. If Norman Rockwell were to do a portrait of you, would you ho- be holding a writing instrument, or would you have that notebook right there in front of you at all times? Because how are you transferring what you're seeing through your eyes, through your heart, onto a page? Yeah, I'm. You know, I'm a bit. I'm a bit old school and a bit new school in a way. <laughs> I, I still. I still order in like the economy size packs these um flip notebooks that are called nice. i'm looking at one right now as i'm telling you about this because i've got them spread out all over my my desk here it's called the professional reporter's notebook <laughs> and i i order by the dozens and i've got dozens of them filled with stories for from the past you know 13 years of, of living and reporting here i carry that around i write everything down i do take audio recordings sometimes because you know sometimes you just want to look at somebody's eyes the entire time and not play and, and not not let them feel as though you know you're you're distracted because you have to write something down and it's nice to just have that recording for accuracy's sake but also so that you can just have a conversation and and be totally focused on on what they're saying in, in essence aren't you still the teacher aren't you teaching the world right now because it, it's just you have a bigger classroom right now that's interesting. I've never quite thought about it that way. You know, I, I think maybe less of a teacher and more of a messenger. Mm. Um, you know, it's maybe it's it's more of a uh, when, as a Peace Corps volunteer. Yeah, I, I worked as a teacher out there. But, you know, uh, for many people back home, friends and family, I was also a pen pal. Right. So maybe it's more maybe it's more of the role of a of just a, a bigger a bigger pen pal platform <laughs> so now what what's next be i mean or, or can you even answer a question like that because it's day to day you said you're in kiev so therefore were they not bombed last night we weren't uh no no we had a, a relatively peaceful night and i only uh I only woke up two or three times wow. um but there were there were air raid sirens luckily missiles didn't make their way to kiev but unfortunately they did hit um, several other cities um, in the south and the east of the country. And we know that there have been at least a couple of deaths in yep, yep. Uh, President Volodymyr Zelensky's hometown in Kriviorig, actually. Um, the Russians struck uh, with two missiles, both um, re- residential buildings there, and one of them um, completely, uh, a side of it, one side of it completely collapsed. And um, as we speak now, I think that rescuers are still working to to check and see whether or not anybody was buried under the rubble there. But mm. you know, this, this is, uh, this happens on a daily basis. So yeah, you know, just because it didn't happen in Kiev and most of us got to sleep fairly well last night, um, you know, thousands of others, uh, didn't. And, um, I don't know what's, you know, what the end of this looks like, unfortunately. I mean, I would like it to end like the Ukrainians want it to end with, yes. you know, with, with the Ukrainian victory, um, with a, with a, a, a very weakened, 
um, a Russian military unable to launch any kind of further attack, um, you know, with Vladimir Putin out of the Kremlin. Um, and and um, I would like that to happen very soon. Um, but unfortunately, uh, just to inject a little bit of realism here, I, I do think, which I do think is important um, to keep in mind, you know, this right now, um, a lot of signs point to this continuing to grind on uh, for months to come. Yeah, yeah. The Russians were really well dug in. They had a lot of time to fortify their positions in the occupied areas of Ukraine in the south and the east. And even with the Western weaponry, tanks and heavy artillery uh, that the uh, the West, including um, the uh, the United States, has given to Ukraine, they're having a real heck of a time trying to break through the front line there. And I think, you know, the success that they had hoped to have this summer in their uh, long anticipated counteroffensive, um, it's not it's not impossible for them to to achieve that. But it is going to be at the very least. Uh, a lot longer um, than than anticipated. Please come back to this show anytime in the future, Christopher. The door is always going to be open for you. I appreciate that. Thanks. Will you be brilliant? And thank you for everything that you're doing. Much appreciated.